0: All right. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, we are talking about a topic that might seem a little controversial. Um, the question that we asked, and I have a group of autism parents joining me to discuss um, their perspective, is if autism was curable, would you? And so I'm going to just, you know, start by saying that for those of you that are listening, I want to make sure that you understand the Um, the viewpoint of this particular podcast, it's meant to be um, a safe place for parents to share their perspective um, and understand that, um, you know, whatever your perspective is or what your belief system is, um, that's fine, you know you're you're entitled to that opinion, but I have a group of parents that are comfortable talking about this because you know there are people that have varying perspectives, and so I just want those that are listening to understand that this is a safe place for people to be able to talk about some of these difficult topics and understand that there's not a right or a wrong answer that um there's a lot of different viewpoints, and there's a lot of different reasons why. Why would we or wouldn't we? Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I just wanted to start that out because like I said, I know that this is a little bit of a charged topic, um, but who would like to start? Um, I have several parents with me. In fact, my husband just got back um, because this has been a topic um, because we're a blended family. So Caleb, my son Isaac had autism. And passed away. My son Caleb has high functioning autism. Um, Angela, you and I were talking ahead of time, kind of about your perspective, and it's so parallels kind of what my feeling is. Um, so I'll probably have you start. Um, John's son is 17, actually just had his 17th birthday on Sunday. Can you believe it? Um, and so we had this conversation multiple times over the years, just in terms of. Um, just, you know, function and ability, um, if you could wave that, wave that magic wand, would we? And so we'll talk about that here in a minute. But Angela, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Because you echoed some of my, kind of my journey with this whole topic. So why don't you start? Sure.
1: Um, I Leading up to uh, the beginning of this podcast, like before I in, I was just kind of really thinking hard about like, would I, wouldn't I? and it and you kind of just like come out of the ballpark saying no based on things I know now I don't think is very fair just because I have to take an account to who I was 12 years ago when I was pregnant with my son and if we had known answers then I'm like would what have I would I, would I have made that choice and I honestly think I would have. I Like 12 years ago, I was pregnant with my son and they were like, hey, your kiddo is going to have autism. Here's a pill you can take the rest of your pregnancy and it will cure it. I would have probably said yes, because I didn't know. I didn't know anything about autism then, to be honest. And um, so just to kind of like think about who I was 12 years ago and those experiences and perspectives. But to kind of think of it now where he's 11 and a half and we're just kind of like, would we do it? Would we, would we cure it now? And it's just, I still haven't really had, I don't even have an answer to be honest, because it's like, there's all these benefits. Yeah. Would, would we not struggle with IEPs every year? Probably probably not. And, um, would we not struggle worrying about accommodations or worried about transitions or have all these worries that keep all of us up some nights? Um, but then you lose, you lose the innocence that's just really held on forever with your kiddo. I mean, my son's 11 and a half and, um, he still wants to snuggle me and kiss me and he giggles at the silliest things and, uh, he still believes in Santa and the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny. And I love all those things. And it's holding on to this gift of innocence that we don't get that often anymore. And so it's just, it's hard. I don't, I don't think I can have an answer for that now. Would I cure it now? I couldn't answer it, but I'm with you. I think it's, it, it's like the day and the struggle
0: Um, in terms of like, you know, because I'm with you, like with Isaac, when he was diagnosed, it was hard, it was scary. And to talk about what you were saying, you know, Isaac was diagnosed, gosh, he would be 17. So he was, um, so this was like 15 and a half years ago. Um, We didn't have social media, all we had were like books. And of course, um, you know, like, I hate to say it, but like the severe, the severe stories that are shared, because like, you know, like you only I only had rain man as a context, and You know, well, that didn't instill a lot of like happiness and like confidence in what our future was going to look like. Um, You know, so it was hard. Isaac was was more impacted and never um, developed language. And so it was so hard just trying to understand what his wants were and why, you know, you know, he was upset and how to help him, you know, so you would have asked me all those years ago and if they would have said, yeah, here's the magic wand. Here's what you do. Like hand me the wand. Yes, absolutely. Um, when Isaac passed away and I found out I was pregnant with Caleb, I went ahead and found out if we were having a boy or a girl, because in my mind, if it was a girl, it's like, okay, maybe I can relax a little bit because if it's a boy, you know, there's a higher chance that this one might have autism too. And that scared me to death. But the thing about it was that was interesting about it is, is that, um, you know, knowing that we had a higher chance, we had genetic, we have a lot of genetic um, markers and on my ex husbands side of the family, um, never in a million years did it cross my mind to terminate the pregnancy because he could have had autism. You know what I'm saying? Like that never would have been, there's no way I would have done that. And so then of course, you know, fast forward, Caleb's born, things looked great for a while until he started, you know, um, some of the sensory stuff kicked in. And and so he has, he's more um, high functioning and that he's conversational and, but he has the struggles that he has is social. You know what I mean? The social, and he is so much more aware of um, it's so funny because I would have prayed and prayed and prayed that Kayla, that Isaac, I'm sorry, Isaac, would have been high functioning If we could just get him to the point where he can talk and he can be in general education, then, you know, we're going to be successful. And so now here I'm gifted with Caleb and guess what? He is conversational and he is in general and most of the day. And yet when I look at those two boys, it breaks my heart. And even with my husband who's sitting with me now, his son Cooper is the same age that Isaac would be had he not passed away. Um, and the thing about it is, is that, um, You know, John and I have debated this this topic a lot. Is that you know what is easier, you know, having a very profoundly affected kiddo with autism or having a high functioning kiddo with autism? And and so maybe this is where John, I'm gonna have you jump in. Is that you know the question is, is that you know there are times I really, um, with Kayla because it's so hard. He knows he's different. He knows he, you know, he wants to be invited to things and he wants to have friendships and he wants to you know, like get married and have kids and he, you know, has these great ideas for what he wants to do for a job. Um, none of which may actually amount to a ability to make money and live independently. Um, you know, he's more, he by far has more struggles. You know what I mean? Like I love everything about him and I wouldn't want to change him, but yet there are days and instances where I would want to wave the magic wand because it's like, boy, I tell you what, you know, I can count on like one hand the birthday invitations my kid has gotten. You know what I mean? The difference between Caleb and Cooper and my son Isaac is is that Isaac and Cooper don't care. You know what I'm saying? And so to steal that, you know, so let's talk about Cooper for a second from your perspective, John. Well, with Cooper, you know, it's, so he has
2: become it's like when you when you have a child, right? You, you name him they become the name, right? I mean, so we could have named Cooper a million other names, but he became right. Cooper. Yeah. And and the thing of it is, is that with the autism, Cooper, it became part of his life. And, and I don't think that I would ever want to change who he is. Now, that being said, I'd love to have him be able to have a conversation with me or something else. But at the same time, in order to get there, is it going to change who Cooper is? And And Angela, you touched on it too, that, that innocence that that is lost, I think sometimes with um, a higher functioning kiddo, I'm not sure I want that for him. I, you know, and I, and that's maybe that's me being selfish, I suppose. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if there was a magic pill to to make Cooper higher functioning, I would wish for a little more expressive language, and a little more ability to. To tell me when something's hurting him or something else, and
0: and express his needs and wants. It, and it's
2: come, you know, further, of course. Like all of us, we see, you know, with the therapies and the interventions, the kiddos, you know, do get better and uh, you know increase their their abilities uh, to a degree. And uh, but I can't say that I would wish <clears throat> that there was a cure. I think that the fear is, and I think all of us have this fear: is in the future, what's this future look like when I'm not around? That's the thing that scares me the most. And, of course, I would love to have him be able to function on his own. But uh, at this point, that's clearly not a, an option for me. And um, and that's why it's that's the hardest part of it. Um, and I think Holly touched on it as well as with Caleb. You know, he's a delightful child to be around. I mean, he is really a great kid. And I love the fact that I can have a conversation with him. Uh, and I I wish that I could do that with Cooper. But like I said, in the same breath, I don't want to change who Cooper is. So I guess that's kind of my perspective. You
0: know, the interesting thing about Caleb too, compared to like my other neurotypical kids is that, um, you know, kids and I was the same way. I could not wait to grow up. Right. Like I just wanted to like grow up. I want to be 16. because I want to drive. I want to be 18. Cause like, I want out of this house. I want to be 21 cause I want to drink. I wanted to be 25 cause I wanted to be able to rent a car just because I wanted to be able to do that. Right. <clears throat> the thing that I love about Caleb is he's always delighting in his childhood. Like, oh, mom, when you see this, like, what does it remind you of? Like, doesn't he remind you of my childhood? Like Blue's Clues. Oh, to go back and just the days of Blue's Clues or Sesame Street or like the Matchbox Cars. So, you know, he we just had to change our front door out. He's just like, oh, the memories, all the memories walking through that door. Um, you know what I mean? Because he still likes to delight and can still appreciate some of those things where it's like those teenagers could have cared less. Finally, that stupid door. It's like a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Caleb's just like nostalgic about things and he's 12 people. Um, And so, and that's, I think part of, you know, he's just, you know, he delights and he's, and he, you know, delights in things where I think like the other kids just kind of like zoom through things and he still like delights and, and really cherishes some of those things. So <clears throat> anyway, how about you, Christine? You're joining us and, um, your son, Cameron and my son, Caleb, um, do you play? And so the invitations that we've gotten, I am pretty sure are mostly from you and actually David Allendorf, who is also on this, my daughter or my kiddos have been to your daughter's birthday party. So thank you to my autism community for, um,
3: uh, I think Caleb and Cameron are probably two peas in a pot. They're very, they really good. are. Um, so Cameron is an only child. He, he is our only child. And so this is our only experience with child raising. Um, and so I'm, I'm probably going to be the parent that, that says if I could cure it, that is a full on, yes, bring it, do it. Let's let's yes. I'm all in. I'm all in on that. Um, I do. I, I, I totally, here's, here's the thing. Um, as we have, you know, traveled this road and experienced this journey, we do try and see the positives. Yes. Cameron, experiences that innocence of childhood still believes in Santa and the Easter bunny and all of that stuff. And it's so fantastic. And we do try and see the positives of what his autism brings to our, our life. Um, and, and his life, um, his, his ability to just remain, um, innocent and childlike and delight in, the things that other kids wouldn't delight in. Um, We try and see those positives. I I tend to look at that as those are the small things that we're certainly blessed with. I also go to the big picture. Um, It's very possible that Cameron's life will look very different than neurotypical children's lives and that's a little bit scary um if we aren't around his parents you know his dad and i what does that mean for cameron who takes care of him who helps him navigate his world um and we don't quite know the answers to those questions and so that's really scary and we try and prepare for all of that and so if the if the you know if it's posed to me can I cure that and make him neurotypical and normal and he can have a normal life and we can plan for him to get married and have a family of his own. And I'm all in saying, yes, please. Um, I, for me, the benefits of not having autism far outweigh the benefits of him having autism.
0: I completely see that perspective because we've oftentimes said that, you know, our future might be, okay, since Caleb and Cameron are two peas in a pod. You know, like that's the thing is that we're looking outside to our, our autism family yeah. in terms of some of our long-term strategy plans. Because again, you know, if only we could live forever, um, it's not a possibility. And you're absolutely right. We know when you have an only child, it looks a lot different. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So for us, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I would, I would be okay with losing that innocence because neurotypical children lose their innocence. That's normal. And I'm using quotes, you know, here. That's normal. They lose that innocence. They stop believing in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and that type. Of, and that's, and that's okay. You can, you can, transition that into something that's more meaningful you know as they move into that understanding of the real world and not so fantasy and that type of thing and <coughs> I my friends with neurotypical children they move they move through those changes and it's it's okay yeah. um we just don't move through those changes as easily or seamlessly as as normal kids do, um and so again, I would be okay with the normal
0: transitions. you're absolutely right too, because That's one possible. of the challenges we've had just so far has just also been you know bad influences and people that take advantage of Caleb, and the thing about it is is that those are really difficult things to you can plan for a lot, you know you can teach them how to make friends, you can teach them. He can get them connected to their friend circles. But, you know, that's the thing is it's really difficult to try and like wire in and teach them how to um, predict and see, you know, unsavory people. And that's the thing is that, you know, would you trade one for the other? And you're right. I mean, it's natural for everybody to grow up and say, oh, hey, you know what? Like Santa Claus is not a real thing. And so I think you have a really good point there. David, you're joining us. Um, where do you, you fall in this particular debate?
4: It's interesting in that somebody posted on Facebook tonight, just, you know, um, going back to normal as we are with this whole COVID thing. What did you discover during your quarantine that changed your outlook on going back to normal? What I responded with was the fact that without work and everything else, being able to be around Morgan as much as I'm able to. The only time I've ever been able to be around her for an extended period is during the holidays because I travel so much for work and having to do this like daily grind thing and having to do it with Meg and seeing all the tantrums and outbursts and having to navigate through that has given me such a huge appreciation. Um, and I think more of a closeness and bonding with Morgan than I've had um, previous to this. And now I'm going to get controversial. That all being said, hell yes, I would, I would like to have some sort of cure. Um, The one thing that I don't know that is taken into consideration when, and look, we all go through this and we say, Hey, what a blessing. We wouldn't want to change this person. What about if that person wanted to change? What if they had the choice? What if you asked that person? Um, And yeah, What if they had the option of having a quote-unquote normal life? Would you still want to stay with something that's going to legitimately have struggles throughout the course of your life where you're going to have to be in the care of us and then other people as opposed to an independent life? Um, I would like to know what that looked like for her. I would like to know what life would have looked like for Piper if she had a sister that would have accepted all of her overtures of wanting affection from her big sister to the point where she got rejected at about five or six years old and decided, screw this, you know, and then became a rage-filled individual who struggles to have social interaction with other normal kids, and she's a typical kid because she never got the loving and nurturing from her older sister. They try sometimes, but it just doesn't work. Um. So I understand that that is my perspective at this very moment as I sit here right now, subject to change, sure, um, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> but, you know i i understand the wanting to hold on to the innocence i mean it, i've had to tell piper don't blow santa claus and the easter Bunny for morgan don't blow it for her she's the younger one and like don't do it um and i can't imagine morgan any other way i just want to know what her opinion would be on the subject and i think it is interesting in that more recently she has come to terms with the fact, whereas if we had mentioned autism in front of her, she would hastily say, hey, and try to derail the conversation. But within the past six months to a year, she has started to like look at old pictures because she likes to go down memory lane too. And like, was this before or after you guys found out? You know, this type of thing. We were just like sorting my sock drawer today because she wanted to see that. Oh, are those autism socks? Yes, they are, sweetie. Oh, those are cool. Like, so she is starting to get more of, you know, an acceptance of it herself. It's just it's hard because as you said there is a sacrifice I'd have to sacrifice the person I know and the person I love but I would really want to see what that's like for her
0: yeah I think that's a really good point just in terms of like personal perspective I think you know it's interesting Caleb um loves to be on he just is obsessed with the news and has been for a few years you know he's you know when Donald Trump became president he was very infatuated with pre-existing medical conditions because he'd heard so much about it during the politics and, you know, so then he did his research on it. Well, one of the things is when he was on a news, you know, site on his iPad. I mean, we try really hard to keep the news away from him, but he still, it's amazing all the different places he can still access news, but he saw an article that was really offensive. I think it was around the time where Amazon was saying that they were going to pull all books and things about curing autism. Um, and he was so offended at like the prospect that um, like, why would you want to cure autism? Like what's wrong with me? Like I'm perfect. Like why, why would you want to cure me? And I was just kind of like, he was just so like sad because he, you know, had that moment of time where it's like, wait a minute, autism is bad and it now needs to be cured. And so, you know, again, I think it's really important for Kayla because we had a conversation. Okay. So, you know, when he was little, we explained to him the, the severity of autism using a ruler when he was really little, 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 because, you know, we have so many different friends that have kids that have different functions and abilities. He didn't understand, well, if I have autism, but I can talk, but like Cooper doesn't have autism or has autism, but he can't talk. So like, how can we both have the same thing, but I have words and he doesn't. And so that's why we use the ruler to explain how it affects because he was, he understood, you know, measurements. And so when we, he had that whole like outburst of like, how dare they say that you're going to cure me? I said, well, let's talk about Cooper here, you know, like Cooper, you know, he struggles and he gets mad and it's hard to know what he wants. And sometimes he gets really mad and will even start hitting himself because he's mad and he gets amped up. Um, And, you know, also too, he gets frustrated because his whole day, like, you know, Caleb, his whole day, he's told what you know, he doesn't have many choices in his day, you know, like we try and give him choices, but it's one of the things, you know, do you want to sit here? Or do you want to sit here? You want to go outside for a walk? Or do you want to go sit on the swing set? You know, that's the extent of his choices. And he should be driving a car. You know what I mean? So for kids like Cooper, you know, can you understand that maybe autism isn't you know, like, it's not like your autism, your autism affects you in a different way. So you can love it and you're comfortable with who you are. But if Cooper were given that choice, do you think Cooper may want to have his autism affect him differently so that he could do the things that he wants to, because he loves cars. He loves to tinker with cars. And I really feel like, um, you know, Cooper would be a race car driver if he could, don't you think? Um, or definitely mechanic because he loves tinkering around with it. And so I think that, um, I get a little um, bristly when, um, and this is just a parent perspective. And again, you know, this is my perspective as a person. I get a little offended when self-advocates um, come down harshly on us parents. And when we're talking about, you know, like some of the challenges or even like, you know, if autism was curable, will you? Because. You know, you, if you're only looking at, like, Caleb was only looking at autism through the single lens of how he understands autism because it affects him in that one way. Um, and it wasn't until he started looking at some of his friends whose autism affects them in a different way for him to be able to understand that, you know what, it makes sense. If autism was curable for some people, maybe we should, like, it, wouldn't that be nice? Right. You know what I'm saying? But we had to really lead him through the path, you know, that path of what that looks like. Christine, did you have... Well, it's a spectrum. I mean, we know that autism is
3: a spectrum disease, and so it obviously um, affects every individual very differently. And so the cure, any cure, you know, if, if this hypothetical cure would obviously affect every individual differently uh, across this a, a spectrum, I would I would hope, um, you know, obviously if we are. Dreaming this dream of um, a, a cure for autism. you know for Cameron I would I would want it to be um, his ability to have language. He has functional language, but social language is just so far beyond him. He's so much happier just being by himself than the stress of being with others but yet as a parent i it, it just breaks my heart that he doesn't have friends and he doesn't um engage with with peers um in any meaningful way which is you know if you extrapolate that in, into his you know greater world it's like he's alone and that's Sad. I want him to have other people, other meaningful people in his life besides me and his dad. And, um, and he doesn't have that. And I would want that to be different for him. If I could make that different for him, I would want that for him. Um, and so I just, yeah, I don't know what else I was going to say about that.
2: No, okay. other than chance. Uh, yeah. So I had a buddy I used to powerlift with, and he was a bipolar schizophrenic. Um, and he had a master's degree, he was a, a counselor. Um, and, you know, about the time that Cooper was probably, you no, know, five or six, you know, I was kind of depressed about it because of the very things you mentioned you know, the things he's not going to experience, the things he's not going to do. And he said, you know, he said, Johnny he said, one way to look at it is this kid has no condition on happiness. Everything you do as a social person is linked to something social in your happiness. Anytime you're a teenager, you're looking to see who's watching, what clothes you're wearing, all these social constraints that filter your happiness. He said, Cooper doesn't have that. And Cooper's happy. He's happier than you'll ever know because you have no context in what happiness without a filter looks like. So at that point in my life, that was really profound to me because it gave me some strength to think you know cooper can have a great life will he have a life like a typical person no he won't but i'll never get the context for feeling the happiness that he has and the joy that he can have in his own way so i guess in my mind i think david touched on it if i could if he was informed enough to make a decision himself about red pill or blue pill right in 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 the matrix world right you know, do you want to do? Do you want to kick this stuff to the side? Do you want to become typical, or would you like to stay as you are? Right. So, you know, I think that that's the biggest thing. Is you know, I don't think he could grasp what typical would be at this point, clearly in his life. But um, I think that that was some pretty interesting insight from the, from that buddy of mine. And I think that uh, really at a at a very vulnerable time in my life, it gave me some hope and focus and kind of refocus my, gave me a second wind, if you will. So, um, man, like I said, I don't know what the answer is here. I, I really don't.
4: What I got out of this, John, is that uh, you definitely wanted to let everyone know that you can power a power lifter. Very impressive. But, um, <laughs> you know, what um, the thing is, for those that have issues, these things aren't mutually exclusive. No. Do we love them exactly how they are? well, we always love them exactly how they are. Absolutely. Um, but it's almost, you know, maybe somebody's going to bristle at this suggestion. I'm going to love my kids, whether they're diabetic or not. Would I rather they not be diabetic? Absolutely. But are they going to be for the rest of their lives? Absolutely. Would well, I rather they not I think that's a great be a cure? Great point.
0: That is a great point. You're right. Like you love your children no matter what, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like if you could take diabetes away, like, so that's the thing I guess that's, a really interesting concept, you know, if we're applying other diagnoses, like cystic fibrosis and diabetes and a variety of other conditions, if you could take that away, that would be socially acceptable. But when we're talking about that in the context of autism, you're right, it is very um, political and polarized in terms of, of having that conversation. So, David, that's a really good point. Yes, yes. Angela, did you, have Great something point.
1: you wanted to throw in? Well, I... I just hearing other perspectives, I think it's really refreshing too, because, you know, I 20 minutes ago, uh, how I felt and uh, what my um, perspective was, has changed. And I think if you put it like, cut and dry, like, what is my kiddo going to be when I'm gone? Like, is he going to be able to be independent? Probably not. And if I can if there was, you know, that magic wand to make him more independent and more, and I know that he is going to, you know, launch himself out there into the world and, you know, have a family and do all the things. Yeah. I'm going to want that for him. And yeah, I can give up those little innocent pieces that he has now for that. Um, I mean, just David, like we're comparing it to diabetes. Uh, just if you can cure, cure diabetes, Yeah hell yeah, we're going to do that. So why can't we put those into the same sentence as hypothetically curing autism, like or even just kind of getting into their brains and seeing what they want I think is equally as important and um, it's still like it's still a weird thing to talk about honestly, but uh, but I think uh, that with us we uh we've had such a well rounded approach to it and if you just put it like cut and dry like you know if you can cure this disease then you're gonna do it cancer, diabetes, whatever. So why don't we wanna do that for neurological disorders? Like why does it why is it too? So yeah,
0: I completely agree. And what everybody values in life is different. You know, Christine, you were talking about how, you know, it, you know, we're such social people um, you know, like, again, part the hardest part about this quarantine is just not being able to have access to my autism tribe of uh, people that have been so supportive. And just, you know, when you need to, you know, unwind or have a compassionate witness and, you know, listen to you, it's just weird staring at a screen getting your like, you know, having your friend help you with your problems. But the thing about it is, and Christine, you and I have talked about this too, because you were the one that was just, I was ranting on a phone call to you about how I hate like home quarantine with four kids because it's just, um, excuse me, pardon my French, but it's bullshit. Um, and you were saying, you know, to be honest with you, it's actually like pretty awesome because you have Cameron and he is thriving because why? You have a very strict routine. He's not yep. bombarded with all of that other stuff. I mean, Christine, what were some yeah. of the other things you were saying? Oh well. Okay. So I was just gonna say that I
3: I personally am an introvert. Um. You know I, I'm not I'm not shy. I'm just an introvert. It 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 expends energy for me to you know be with people and be around people, which I, I enjoy doing that. But it's 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 a energy suck. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not somebody who gains that inner energy from being around a lot of people. And I. Th- I think that Cameron, um, is that way also. I think that it, it whether it's his in, introversion or his autism, it, it expends a lot of, he expends a lot of energy when he is at school or around large groups of people. And so he's much more comfortable being by, by himself. And that's okay. Um, Yeah, find that balance
0: and i'm i'm with you there like caleb actually has uh, of all of the kids caleb really is the one that's just loving the quarantine um the most because he really doesn't like going out you know like he doesn't like going to school because it's loud um not being forced to go to the grocery store with mom awesome you know what i'm saying the funny thing yesterday i was working out in the yard and he came out and he sat in and i sometimes i've actually found a lot of um love for weeding lately and you want to know it's not that I love weeding but it's the only time my children will leave me alone because if they are looking for me then I'm gonna be like hey start weeding and then they're like "Poof!" like you know what I mean it's the only time quiet time I have is when I'm weeding but Caleb came out and he sat on one of the rocks next to me because we have a little like rock retaining wall and he says mom I just I missed my my cousin Braden I just I don't understand it it's just I just I don't feel joy because, you know, like Braden's not around. And that was actually the first time I've actually heard him express the fact that he was actually feeling like socially, like bummed out, you know, because he didn't have that outlet. And I was just kind of like, wow, that's cool. You know, it's his cousin. I mean, they're the same age and whatnot. But I was kind of like, OK, so it is there. You know what I mean? Um, He did. And, I, and it was actually his mother's day. I guess it was a couple days ago. But um, anyway, so I know it's in there. It's just that he, you yeah, know, he really is just introverted, and as long as you know his world is there, and um, I will say like um, you know, regressing a little bit back to talking about Isaac is that you know for so long, and Angela, you talked about this too. Um, you know, your perspective changed, you know, when you early on it was like we gotta fix this, we have to fix this, we need to make, you know, and that was my mindset for Isaac is, you know, working so hard to make him typical. Because again, in that mind in that timeline, I was still thinking that Jen Ed, being having him be in Jen Ed was the pinnacle of success. Um, and we have podcasted on that topic. Um, but what was interesting is the day that I was um of my son's funeral and I was sitting in there and of course you, know, you got a bajillion people coming in and out, um, the one clear thing that I do remember is, you know, I was just sitting in there waiting for, you know, things to kind of, um, you know, wrap up so that we could leave. And I had this like moment of clarity where, you know, for so long, I had been looking for a magic solution to try and cure him. And the one thing I could at least have comfort in on that day, um, because, you know, my son had passed away is is that, you know, from his perspective, his world was totally complete. He didn't want you know, um, you know, if, if, as long as, you know, like Tyler and I, you know, were there and, you know, his routine was there and he had his trains and his cars and his fire truck. Um, as long as those things were there, um, he was happy. Like it was complete. Like he didn't, you know, he wasn't frustrated, um, you know, with the fact that he didn't have friends at school and he wasn't, you know, he just didn't have like his, you know, things were pretty awesome for him. You know, while we had to very much control his routine and his structure, um, you know, he had a great life from his perspective. Like what I was stressing and mourning was, of course, those things that I wanted and needed, um, which again, all of it is based off of what Christine, you're saying. And John, what you're saying is the future. If you can't live for forever, who is going to take care of them when we are not able to do it? And that's, I think, where um, for me, um, a lot of the things that I was mourning and stressing, you know, and just struggling with was that fear of, you know, how will he and even with Caleb now, how will and I worry about this for Cooper, how will they survive without us? Um, And we just have to do our absolute best. You know, with Cooper, the writing is on the wall. So, we know more so, um, we know more so what Cooper's future looks like. And so, we're already making plans for what Cooper's life will be. But with like Caleb and also like with Cameron and Morgan and Angela with your son too, it's like, you know, you don't really know because there's not, you know, Cooper is AC level three. So, he is, you know, doesn't have a lot of functional language. We have a lot of, I mean, he has to have 24 hour supervision and support. Um, Whereas, like with Caleb, it's a big, question mark, like what will his functionality look like when he becomes an adult? And knowing like what everybody else has said, you know, that, um, you know, that, that innocence, um, you know, Caleb's probably not going to be a mature adult, probably until he's 30, if I'm being totally honest, because he is so socially and emotionally behind his peers, you know, again, He still believes in Easter Bunny and Santa and all those things, which we love, but um, I'm not expecting him to really be an adult, have an adult mindset until he's 30. And so that's the thing. It's like, you know, gosh, you know, I hope I live long enough to, um, you know, see him be his full potential. Um, And that's what just the big question mark is. So that's where I vacillate on that whole thing. If there was the magic pill or the magic wand, and this is what we had to do it's tough because, you know, again, all parents want to know, I mean, with all my kids, I want to know that they're going to be, you know, like able to take care of themselves. And that's, you know, the biggest
4: fear That's I the like flip side of my own uh, discussion here, Holly, which is, um, you know, as Andy had said, like Morgan is incapable of having anything other than a genuine reaction uh, to anything. When she tries to manufacture things that aren't real, it just, it's hilarious. So, you know, my statement earlier was based on what I believe, you know, the course of action that would make her the happiest. But I don't know that the current course isn't the one that's going to make her the most happy either. In that, like, what if she goes down the road of learning how to do coding for her favorite video game. And that's all she wants to do for the rest of her life. And that will make her perfectly happy. She has also declared that, you know, someday she's going to have kids, which would require a partner. I don't know that she knows the full details on how to manufacture that kid. And I think once she found out, um, she was <laughs> prompted by the entire suggestion of the whole thing and the kid's thing would be off the table. With that being said, as I make that discussion of, you know, wanting to find some sort of cure is the cure version of her going to make her happier than the current version of her? I assume so, but I don't know if she stumbles across that thing. So as you said, there's, there's just the unknown. So it just circles back to the point you made earlier. Nobody's here to petition which way is right or wrong, but just to kind of share ideas, um, which I think, you know, is the opposite of offensive really. Um, it's really um, a situation where you take everything into account everybody's situation is different and it's just it opens a dialogue and that's all you need to do
0: that is so true because you know David on um, we don't have any of our families um, you know John is the father of Cooper and he's significantly impacted by autism, but he's not. We don't have to medicate him or sedate him because of his behaviors. And so we're really—he is really a happy kid. He, he gets a little destructive, and but mostly it's because he likes tools and um, he likes to tinker with things. And so in that process, things get damaged, um, which is why I say that I think he would be a race car driver or at least a mechanic if, if that was, you know, if if all things were, you know, like um, a possibility, but. You have to keep in mind, too, that, you know, through the Isaac Foundation, I work with many, many families whose kids have to be on some very high powered medication in order to keep them um, sedated. I mean, really, some of them are actual sedatives where it's like, you know, when things when they get amped up, they have to onboard medication to sedate them, to bring them back down because they become physically Um, a danger to themselves and a danger to other people. And it becomes very, very difficult to even keep them safely in the family home. You know, another challenge that we have too is, is that, you know, when we can no longer keep them safely in the family home because of, um, you know, just behaviors, dangerous behaviors. um, It also then becomes very difficult to find um, outside home placements for them because, you know, there is even a limit to what group homes can, can manage safely, um, and legally. And so then our other option is institutionalization. And, um, that is a real scary reality and let, you know, so, and that's where I guess, you know, if you're, you know, one takeaway from listening to this, um, podcast, if you tuned in, um, ready to be, uh, you know, like Offended by some of the conversations here, I would say my only suggestion is be careful about the lens that you're using to apply to all situations on the autism spectrum. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's where the biggest challenge is, is that when you are looking just through one single lens and you are unable to look at the different spectrum and how it and, and different family dynamics and families abilities to be able to deal, um, with some of those situations, you know, we have single moms that, you know, they can't even work because their child requires 24 hour supervision, but there are no places that are able to take the kiddo, um, because of the severity of the behaviors, um, people like, I am telling you right here and right now, that is a reality for a lot of the families that I work with at the Isaac foundation. And so to sit there and tell them that they are wrong for wanting a magic pill, um, you know, Sorry, you're never going to hear me say that.
2: Well, I I had the pleasure of working with a guy who was on the spectrum. uh, And um, he had to take some medications. His, His obsessive behaviors became worse. Some of his sensory issues became worse as he got older. And he started taking medication. Well, him taking the medication meant that he couldn't do the job. So he had to essentially retire from the fire service because of it. And, you know, it was a conscious choice that he made. Um, because even he realized that he couldn't help himself, essentially, right? So here you have an, an individual who's intelligent enough to reason through these things and could make a choice about taking some of the issues he had because of his diagnosis and because of how he was uh, and essentially had to pick a different career path. So, I mean, so in that instance, I guess you have, you know, a person who saw that he couldn't function, came to the realization, it was kind of sad, and I'm sitting there with him, and uh, you know, he decided that, hey, you know what? Um, they were they were thinking about letting him go because of some of the, the issues he was having, and and he uh, he made the ultimate decision. Said, you know what? I'm going to be a danger to my crew, and I can't have that. We can't have that in this world. And so he made the ultimate sacrifice in quitting. I mean, that's that's a that's a big thing, right? I mean, so he did choose to medicate himself to where he could deal with some of those those behaviors and some of those things. So. Um, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about that. And, uh, you know, he was, he was talented in some aspects and others, he just couldn't handle. So, you know, it's, I guess I don't know where I was going with that, but I mean,
0: it was, Well, I think that's a really good point, can you know, because, you know, Caleb and I'm sure you guys can relate. Caleb has some strong, strong interests. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be a viable occupation for some of his obsessive interests. You know, like I just don't see Lego building being a productive, like, you know, um, you know, job, uh, you know, like buildings are not built out, you know, he wants to go into engineering. Hmm. Well, unless we can make buildings out of Legos, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. Uh, but you know, we actually did run into him. Um, and he was happy, you know, he, you know, had found his, his thing and found something that he, um, you know, he had a very strong obsessive interest in fire service. Um, but he was happy, um, in terms of what he found after that. So, um, anyway, but, you're right. I mean, I, it would be interesting, again, to ask him that question, whether or not there was a you know, magic pill, you know, so that you could be able to do your dream job um, and do it safely. Would you do it? I mean, and that might be, again, you know, just being careful about what filter we're using to analyze every situation and self-advocates. Some would say, absolutely, I would take a pill because I hate feeling like I'm different. And then there's some self-advocates or um, those that are neurodiverse that love it. Like I said, Caleb loves it. But I really had to set him down and explain to him that, well, here's situations where you might want to think about it. So I think it's really important to make sure that we can um, see the big picture. So
4: I really like tackling these topics, too, uh, Holly, because somebody said something recently that I really connected, which is like, who said that I wasn't supposed to be offended? Some of the most educational moments in my life was instances where I took offense to something because I didn't have the view of the person who was creating the offense. And then we were able to navigate through the discussion and they were able to present, you know, a, as you said, a view or a prism or that I hadn't even considered or thought of. And all of a sudden my offense had to be reconsidered. And, you know, and so again, as you said before, this isn't the, in an abrasive tone, this is just a discussion of people who, you know, on a day-to-day basis, our, our opinions are probably going to change on these things. Oh, not a moment. Yeah. We could have a warm fuzzy and she can come storming in here right now and I want to just shoot pill right into her, you know? I mean you know? <laughs>
0: like I said, it depends on the day. It depends on the circumstance. Like some days I'm like, oh, autism is so beautiful in this little perspective in this moment. And then there are other days where it's like, where's the pill? Oh, you know what I mean? Because again, you know, um, you know, we're all human. So did I leave anything out? Does everybody did everybody feel like we kind of covered some of those points that we wanted to make sure that we just put out there for those to think and ponder and consider when, you know, if you might be on one of those um, polar ends of this particular debate?
1: Um, I think for um, me in particular, uh, this topic, it's so crazy to just think about because then I really go back and forth where. It, am I saying yes? Am I being selfish? And that's, you know, we try not to be selfish. And so, and then we try to think about reasons why we want it and for their quality. But then we still, I think it's natural for us as parents just to be like, well, I don't want to make this choice selfishly. And then so, um, I think a lot for me and the reason why I'm not like, yes, magic blue pill or no is because I'm, battling with, is my choice being selfish or not? So, I mean, and I'm okay with not having the answer. I'm okay with um, other people having their answers and saying, yes, I want the magic wand. I want this magic blue pill for my kiddo. Um, And then, and that's okay. And that's what um, we're all here and we're all in this safe place to share. And um, I just feel like that it's important to let people know that you don't have to have an answer either. You don't have to, you know, it's you're not a bad person. You're not a less of a parent. If you don't have that answer, if you don't, if you're not dead set on wanting a cure or not wanting one. Absolutely. There should be no, it's okay to really feel
0: like, no, I, I would want the, you know, I would want the, you know, like the cure, um, and again, you know, like have some grace for yourself because again, you know, I think as parents, you're, know, you're, you have these children and you're so selfless and you would give your life for these people, for these little ones that we brought into the world. But yet too, you know, again, it's all in your capacity to be able to like handle it too. I mean, your mental health. Um, is important, and that's the one thing through all of this too. We've done some on, you know, self care because again, you can only give so much, um, and you got to always remember, um, you know, guilt. I think we've had a podcast on guilt too, like parent guilt when we're talking about autism and kind of like wishes and, um, you know, feelings and stuff. And so understand too, you got to have some grace, and definitely check out our podcast on guilt because that was a great topic too. I think actually some of you guys were on that one. Um, which we will be podcasting on that one again because I think it's because there you have so much guilt and then again you feel selfish, you know, because of what your needs and wants might be. Um, you still always have to think about self care. So. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up this podcast. Thank you everyone for joining me in this recording. I know again, it was, it's a little touchy, um, but I do appreciate the fact that you guys were willing to come and kind of give us those different, um, viewpoints because I think it's important for, um, Again, some of it's education, just putting it out there so then people understand like some of the issues that you may not experience since so you're not as we're aware of it. So we'll go ahead and wrap up this particular podcast on Isaac's Autism well And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.